This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we help you learn to invest in roughly 20 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going, bro? I'm very good, Bryce. Great to be with you again. <laughs> Likewise, always good to chat stocks, uh, as we always do. Tonight's a bit different, though. We are going to be doing one of our expert investor interview series and uh, we will be touching on uh, an industry that has been, I would say, quite hot uh, of, of late. Uh, we did do an episode with uh, an American investor in this space, but there's been a lot of demand from our listeners to go back and revisit revisit the industry as it's uh, quite an important uh, growth potential. So looking forward to, uh, to getting stuck in, Ren. Yeah, very much so. We've got we've got the guest on the line, so uh, we won't we won't hold him up any longer. We've got uh, Mark Bernberg joining us. Mark, thanks for good evening, coming boys. On Equity Mates. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So Mark is a bit of a serial entrepreneur. He uh, has started a few successful companies, jack of all trades, and we have been in touch with him to focus on the cannabis sector. Um, he is currently founder and CIO of the Green Fund, which we'll get into a bit later. But just to touch on it, he's also founder and director of Wiz Technologies and managing director of the Five Plus Group. So very experienced in business and we're really looking forward to getting some insight, particularly on all things cannabis. So welcome to the show, Mark, and let's get straight into it. Uh, a bit about your background, managing director, founder of a number of companies. How, how did you get into the position that you are? I had just actually exited uh, from an executive role in Wiz Technologies uh, in early 2017. That was my second tech exit. And I was lucky enough that I was able to take a couple of months off after that. And uh, serendipitously, it was my brother's wedding in Cape Town. It's where I'm from. And um, when I got down there, his best man is a friend of ours who I hadn't seen in a couple of years, this crazy day trader from Toronto. And literally, <laughs> literally all this guy spoke about 
for three weeks while he was in Cape Town with us was pot stocks. He was <laughs> he was showing me how he was trading them. And, and I'll be honest, guys, I hadn't even heard about canopy growth uh, at that point. This is around about February 2017. I hadn't heard of any of it. You know, I, I'd kind of like most people heard that there was something going on in the U.S. somewhere, but I, I never really paid much attention to it. And I mean, this guy was so effusive about it that I started to read and, and given that I actually had some time off and it, it was, it was like going down a rabbit hole and I can only liken it to, you know, the story that Jeff Bezos says when he was reading one day and he read about this thing called the internet, ex, ex, you know, ex, exploding at a thousand percent year on year. And that's kind of the same kind of growth you're seeing in cannabis. And about literally four or five weeks later, I kind of developed my thesis, which is I think this is the greatest healthcare disruptor of our time. I think it's going to have the same kind of impact on medicine that penicillin did. And the more I read, you, you just you, you can't take enough. There, there is so much going on. And so then I eventually started investing in around about July 2017. And just like, to be honest with you guys, a lot of our readers I know this sounds crazy, but I'd never actually bought a share before. I had shares from when I'd listed one of my companies, but I'd actually never gone out and bought a share before. And my very first share, you know, my sort of breaking my virginity was a pot stock. Wow. Um, and, and I'm seeing a lot of that. And I know Matt from Stakes is the same kind of thing that, you know, there's a whole generation now of millennials who are buying their first share and it happens to be a pot stock. So I started investing in July 2017. And to be honest, guys, you, you could have thrown a dart at a dartboard and you would have made money in part. And if you didn't make money, it's because you didn't hit the dartboard. And, you know, I was really lucky. And of course, you know, I became pretty effusive about it and, and became very passionate about it. And people just started asking me, you know, what about this? And what about that? And can you give me some more information on this? And so eventually, I uh, turned what was kind of a hobby into potentially a business, you know, kind of like you guys it really had a passion for it and decided to start something. And so I founded the Green Fund in January 2018, so almost a, a year after I'd first heard about it. And yeah, it's, it's exploded from there. So it was literally 11 months from when you first heard about pot stocks in February 2017 to when mm -hmm. you founded the Green Fund in 2018. Mm -hmm. that, um, that must stem from a very high level of conviction. So I'm glad we've got you on and we can explore that conviction. So to start with, can you just explain for our listeners what the Green Fund is and, and what you do there? Sure. So the Green Fund is essentially a news and media and publishing house that is for all things cannabis. We are supplying news, information, and data on all things cannabis, covering the global cannabis industry, but with a specific focus on the, on the APAC region and the developing cannabis market in the APAC region. The site uh, is... Sorry, and just for our listeners, uh, the APAC region? Uh, Australia Pacific region. So Australia, New Zealand... Um, I suppose you could call it a little bit of Asia, Singapore, Hong Kong, China, that kind of region. So, you know, the Asian region, as well as what's happening across Australia and New Zealand. And, and there's quite a lot actually happening across Australia and New Zealand. And, and the site is, you know, the greenfund.com. The, the site is for basically any level of knowledge. So it's for people who have no idea of what is the difference between medical marijuana and recreational marijuana, what's the difference between marijuana and hemp, but it's also got enough information for retail and sophisticated investors who want to better understand which companies are the right ones to follow, you know, where are the trends in market, and you know, even full and in-depth analysis of, of various quarterly earnings. So there's kind of something for everybody on there, but a, a central theme obviously is cannabis. 
And just to clarify, although it's called called the Green Fund, you don't actually manage money there? And this is where it gets a little confusing, but we do have a separate business entity that, that is not the greenfund.com, and that's a wholesale investment fund. It's the first of its kind in Australia, and that is a sophisticated fund. So for you know what would be deemed sophisticated investors, and it's a fund that is that's mandate is only to invest in companies whose core whose sort of core competency is in the cannabis industry. The media and and, and news and publishing site, thegreenfund.com, that is an information site for for anybody that's looking to learn more about cannabis and the cannabis industry. Interesting. Interested to dig a bit into the your investing thesis, but being, uh, I guess, covering the the industry in depth for, for all different levels of ability, let's have a chat about the cannabis industry itself. So we know that there's great potential there and great growth, but from your perspective, what's the sort of current value of the industry? What, what's its sort of projected growth rate over the next few years? Um, who are some of the really big players? that are in there at the moment. Um, do you want to give a bit of insight into that? Yeah, sure. Um, look, the cannabis industry as an industry is, is the fastest growing industry on the planet at the moment. There was a report recently released by BDS Analytics that says that suggests that the global cannabis industry in 2019 should be worth somewhere in the region of $15 billion. Uh, and that includes medical cannabis, recreational cannabis where legal, as well as hemp and CBD, which is you know something we can probably chat about in a little bit. Now, to give you an idea how fast this is growing, 15 billion in 2019, the bottom end of the estimates say that that will double in the next four years. So 30 billion by 2020, uh, what's it, late 2023. Some of the estimates, for example, Cowan and Co out of the US are saying that just the US market will be $75 billion by 2030. Uh, and that's just the U.S. market. And they estimate the U.S. market at the moment is somewhere in the region of 6 to $7 billion. So you're talking 6 to $7 billion to $75 billion. That's 10 times in 10 years. So as I say, moderate estimates put this at around about 20 to 25% year-on-year growth for the next 10 years. That is, that is phenomenal. That's the internet of the mid-2000s and, and onwards, you know? And in terms of who the big daddies and the big players are, look, the world's number one cannabis company, without a doubt, is Canopy Growth. They are the Amazon of the cannabis world. They operate now across, I think it's five or six continents, 30 countries. You know, they are the big daddy. They're generating the most revenue. They just recently brought out their Q4 results, $140 million in the quarter. I mean, to give you an idea how fast it's growing, two years ago, they did $2.5 million in the quarter. So that is the kind of growth that these companies are seeing. And then some of the other big ones, Aurora Cannabis, um, Tilray. Tilray is the infamous stock that a lot of people will have heard about. You know, it listed late last year or sort of September, October last year at $17 and three months later was at $300, which was crazy. Now it's back to sort of $30, $40. So there's unfortunately a lot of people who got very burnt. But um, that's a big one. And then, you know, you could probably end off with Kronos and can trust those are your five kind of really market leading biggest companies in the world so you you mentioned they were likened it to the age of uh internet euphoria so i guess the question is then in at the stage that this industry is at the moment would you also say that there's there's quite a 
a feeling of, uh, I guess, fear of missing out investing and, and investing in the idea rather than, than fundamental growth. I mean, these big companies that are the big players now, there's a potential that in five or 10 years time, they might not be the big players. So where is this growth coming from? And, and do you think it's, it is sort of fundamentally driven or is it just as much about people coming into the market in, in fear that it's, it is going to be another internet boom and, and they might miss out? Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's a great question. I think there's essentially two answers to that. I think the first answer is that, look, you have got product that's coming to market where, you know, just in the U.S. alone, nearly 70% of the population says we want it. So it's not like there's a new product coming to market that needs to be marketed to people or sold to people. The second part of it is that, you know, of, of that one point is that people also understand it. It's, it's, it's a very easy thing to understand cannabis. You know, a lot of people just think, right, it makes you high. And some people are starting to understand the medicinal nature of it. So there really is a fundamental growth curve of demand. And I think that's important to note is that you do have an industry that is genuinely growing. But you're on the money in terms of there is that herd mentality. Um, because right now, cannabis is very much a retail investment market. Um, which means it's it's guys and girls like us and all of your listeners and readers that are investing. It is not institutional yet. And the primary reason it's not institutional yet and you don't have the huge hedge funds and mutual funds all investing is that ultimately in the U.S. it's still illegal at the federal level. And therefore the big banks, the big investment houses don't really want to touch it. And so because it is a retail market, you know, your retail investors are – you know, irrational, exuberant, and sometimes, you know, just that pure and honest FOMO. Um, they hear about it. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it is quite scary when you get into an Uber and uh, the Uber driver asks you what you're doing and you talk about cannabis and then suddenly he's talking about Tilray and should he buy Tilray? And then you kind of do have that sort of chuckle and think, wow, you know, that's that's kind of bubble territory. But it's important for people to understand that at the moment, yes, there is a lot of hype and a lot of the valuation is on hype. But if you if you go right down to the to the foundational level and the fundamental level, this is a market that has significant demand, and it's got significant demand across multiple verticals. So you've got your hardcore medicinal cannabis, your pharmaceutical grade cannabis, your cannabis that is, you know, like for example, Epidiolex in the U.S. that is FDA approved for childhood epilepsy, and that's going to make billions of dollars. And there's a whole there's a whole vertical of that that's growing. And then you've got your CBD nutraceutical wellness market. That's the market that's just absolutely exploded in the U.S. And that comes with its own problems. But that's, you know, a 30, 40, 50 billion dollar market. And then you've got the recreational market. And it's estimated that up to sort of 15 percent of the global population consumes cannabis. So that is a beast in itself. So you really do have three fundamentally hungry industry that will drive growth. 
But right now, yeah, I think you spot on the money. There is a lot of hype and there is a lot of, you know, there really is a lot of froth in the market, no doubt about it. Mm. Yeah, for me, your point about uh, the amount of recreational users is a really fascinating one because for the first time we're seeing an industry develop, you know, sort of from scratch in the stock market, but there's such an established user base and such an established industry that exists out there. So, you know, you're almost seeing all these users get brought in from the cold and companies profiting from them for the first time. But there's so much, there's such a large user base out there that you can see will be making the transition over the coming years. Mm, mm. Big time. You know, it's, it's so difficult to the, to the tech. If you think about the rise of the tech industry, you know, the, the rise of the companies on the, on the stock markets was accompanied by the rise of need to be educated consumers. You had people that needed to understand PCs and understand Windows and Mac and mice and all of those things, whereas you're spot on the money. Although you have an industry being built from the ground up immediately, the consumer base doesn't need to be necessarily educated on what the product at its at its core is. Yes, they need to be educated on the difference between medicinal strains and and. and efficacy results that are that are that are showing that it is a good form of medicine of medical treatment but like you said at the end of the day most people will understand what cannabis is and and, and so that's a very powerful starting point so mark what one of the questions we got from a listener that i think is is a real is one that a lot of people think and it's one that i think about a lot is the sort of when you think about the value chain of cannabis where where the real growth will come from and where the really winning companies will come from because you know you touched on the health aspect the wellness wellness aspect and the recreational aspect it seems like there's going to be a lot of cannabis producers you know being seeded and uh, making money in the stock market do you see in the future cannabis becoming almost a commodity and that companies that will win in this space are the product creators, or do you see that there'll be value distributed throughout the chain? So look, that, that again, um, that's a great question. I think you've got to go back a couple of years and, and, and look at where the industry came from. The industry came from the fact that in order to develop the industry, people needed to grow or, or what's known as cultivate cannabis, produce cannabis. And so the industry was born in Canada with what's known as licensed producers. So companies that are, that are given a license by the Canadian authorities to grow and cultivate and harvest cannabis. And right now, globally, demand completely outstrips supply. Um, there is such a ravenous demand for cannabis that companies right now just cannot get enough cannabis to market. But that is changing, and it's changing quickly. You know, you look at Canopy Growth, as I said, the biggest company in the world. They currently have, and yes, it's not fully developed yet, but they currently have 35 million square foot of planned cultivation facility. 35 million they're going to be able to produce two to three million kilos of cannabis a year. Now, the whole Canadian market, medicinal and recreational, is estimated to be about 800,000 kilos. So just one Canadian LP is going to be able to produce probably two to three times that. Then you've got Aurora that can do 600,000 kilos a year. You've got Afria, you've got CanTrust, you've got all of these. So there is no doubt that in about 18 to 24 months, supply is going to completely outstrip demand. And then you're 100% right, it's going to be a race to the bottom in terms of the low-cost producers. So any, you know, although I'm not allowed to give advice, you know, something that, that your, your listeners should certainly look out for is that any company that's just growing cannabis right now, that's a problem. That's a real problem because it's, there's no protection to that. No Australian company is going to be able to grow cannabis for less 
than the guys in Colombia, in Lesotho, in South Africa, in Jamaica, in the Caribbean. They're just not going to be able to grow cannabis for those kind of rates because the minute a laborer touches it, you've doubled the price already. You know, we see a lot of companies and the deal flow coming across our desk, and it's always, we're going to grow cannabis. We're going to be the biggest grower. And already you can, you can write that off. The question then becomes, all right, once it's grown, where does the value get created? And we strongly, strongly feel, that's a royal we because it's really desire, but we strongly <laughs> feel that the real value is going to be further down the value chain. And it's going to be in the extraction of turning cannabis flour. So, you know, that's what you, you would, I suppose, usually roll a joint with. You know, it's called flour or bud. It's going to be turning that into oil into cannabis oil, into CBD oil that forms the foundation for your vapes and vape, you know, vape technology, um, edibles, extracts, gel capsules, and all of the other form factors that come with cannabis. Because what we're seeing in mature markets like Colorado and Washington and Oregon and, and even to a certain extent, you know, California, is that nearly 60 to 65 percent of the spend is on edibles, extracts, and particularly vapes and vape cartridges. That's the fastest growing sector. Now, you can grow cannabis outdoor in Jamaica and produce it for, let's say, 50 cents a gram, whereas Canadian LPs can't produce it for less than $1.50 a gram. And because you're going to then extract the cannabis and pull out the THC and, and you know, doing that in laboratories, it doesn't need to be grown indoor and be premium, premium flour because they will extract the oils and refine it that you will get high-potency oils in cannabis. So that's already one area of the value chain that we see huge growth in in the coming years. And you look at a company like Medifarm Labs, um, the ticker is LABS. They're one of the fastest-growing companies in Canada right now, a pure-play extraction company. They simply extract. They get the flour, they extract, they turn it into oil, they either then white label it and produce it for other companies or alternatively other companies like Canopy Growth send them their weed, they turn it into oil, they send it back to Canopy. So that's one area. But where the real value is going to be is in the retail and the brands. Um, there is no Coca-Cola, there is no Nestle yet at all. And 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 that will come. And and you made a comment earlier that, you know, maybe in sort of five years' time you know, some of the biggest in the world may not be anymore. And I agree with that. I, I personally feel the biggest cannabis company in the world doesn't exist yet because you haven't had Coca-Cola buy somebody and then turn it into a monster for wellness drinks. You haven't had Nestle buy somebody and turn it into the biggest distributor of, of, of THC-infused chocolate. But the big, the big brands, your Bang Chocolate, your Select uh, Vape Oils, your, you know, your vape cartridges and, and stuff like that. And then the retailers, your MedMen, your Rise dispensaries and things like that. That's where the real money is because just like it is now, you know, the real money at the end of the day, if you look at alcohol, is made in the bars. Not, you know, the breweries make money, but the bars make the, the biggest margin of all. And, you know, if you went up to the bar and you ordered a beer, you're not going, um, before I drink this Corona, I really would like to know where the hops comes from and who grew the barley. You know, you mm. want a beer, you want a brand, you want a Corona. Mm. And, and that is where it's eventually going to be. You're going to go into a store and you're going to go, I want a Corona, please. And that might be a pre-roll or a vape pen or whatever it might be. And there will be brand loyalty and there will be retail loyalty. And I think investors, you know, that, that, what's that Wayne Gretzky quote? You know, don't skate to where the puck is, skate to where the puck is going. I honestly believe where the puck is going is near the end of the value chain, the retailers and the brands. 
And that's something, you know, listeners should look out for. Well, maybe Equity Mates will be the, the, the go-to leading brand in, in cannabis solutions. Who knows? Could be, could be <laughs> I'll tell you what, here. could be. Could be. <laughs> Anything's possible. So let's turn back to Australia. We interviewed Todd Harrison um, of CB1 mm, Capital. CB1, yeah. yeah. And he said that Australia is the food bowl of Asia or like the, the gateway to the gateway to Asia and we're in a, a pretty strategic position and there was certainly opportunity here even though the market is still very infant just wondering what your thoughts are on the australian industry at the moment i guess in terms of that whole production line where do you see australia sitting in the future and is it something that is going to be of opportunity for investors or is it still going to be mainly overseas that all the opportunity is going to be come to us i guess yeah, great. First of all, I mean, Todd Harrison is a doyen of the industry. He's one of the guys I follow uh, and really one of the smartest investors in the space. So great that, that you had someone of that caliber. I think he's spot on. Um, you know, let's be clear on this. I don't see Australia being a mass producer of cannabis for the global stage. We're just the, If you just took labor and freight costs to get it around the world, we're already completely overpriced. I do think there will be a time later on, just like the wine industry and the fruit industry, where potentially craft growers of premium, premium grade cannabis could be coming out of Australia. You look at brands in Canada like Whistler, Broken Coast, where you know they're selling for sort of $25 to $30 a gram, whereas your standard low to medium grade cannabis is sort of $10 to $15 a gram. So I, I think there's an opportunity for that, but that's still small. I think the real value for Australia lies in its gateway access to Asia. And where I think this will be quite appropriate is I believe that, and and the latest Prohibition Partners report sort of validates this, that uh, at some point in time, China is going to open up to medicinal cannabis. I doubt in our lifetime, guys, that they will ever legalize for recreational usage. I mean, I, I... Listen, anything's possible, but I think it will be huge, but I I, I can't see it happening. I mean, they're shooting people at the moment, you know what I mean? Um, So, but if they did open up for medicinal cannabis, and you think about a country like Thailand has just legalized medicinal cannabis. Now, you know, I've traveled to Thailand before, and you get to the airport, and there's just gun guys with guns and death signs and skull and crossbones everywhere, and you start going into a panic, checking your bag just to make sure. Now, they've legalized medicinal cannabis. And so when you, you know, you've got a country like that that's done it, then it's not, to be honest, out of the realm of possibility that, that China then legalizes. Now, if China does legalize for medicinal cannabis, that's where Australia really could come to the fore. Because remember, there's an entire market for CBD, nutraceutical and wellness products. So think Blackmores, but with CBD in it. And then think milk powder and baby formula and what that has done made in Australia and imported into China that's where I see a huge opportunity that the Chinese market already loves Australian products, believes that Australian pharmaceutical products are top grade and that is better than anything they can do. And so suddenly, you know, and remember this, that CBD infused products do not need to be grown. It can be synthetically produced just like you would produce, for example, Nurofen and Panadol comes from the willow bog. When you've got a headache, Bryce, I doubt you're running down to go and scrape some bark off the willow tree to then, you know, put that in your surprise. <laughs> He's pretty old school. <laughs> I can see it with your two just scratching to make a flame. Um, so the, the key thing there is, you know, we don't need to grow it. We can manufacture it and you can have CBD capsules, CBD powder, CBD drinks. And suddenly you've got a, a wellness product that opens up, in, you know, into the Chinese market. And I think Australian companies could 
boom from that. So I think Todd's on the money as he normally is, um, and that's where I see the huge opportunity for the Australian uh, for the Australian market. Interesting. Just a quick follow up to that, Ren. Sorry, just for our listeners, can you explain what CBD is? Sure. So CBD is cannabinoid. Now the cannabis plant has over 140 compounds in it that they've now starting to understand because obviously being so illegal globally and being on par in terms of a a schedule one drug. So in other words, authorities consider cannabis to be as bad as heroin and cocaine, which is just crazy, but that's another story for another night. So because it was so illegal, people couldn't study it. It was very difficult to get, you know, even in pharmaceutical laboratories. So they've only recently started to discover the compounds that are found in the plant and the, the two biggest compounds in the plant is tetrahydrocannabinol, which is THC. That's the stuff that makes you high. And then there's the other side is CBD or cannabinoid. That's the stuff that has a huge, huge uh, medicinal uh, property. So you'll hear that buzzword everywhere. What it is, it's one of the compounds found in the cannabis plant that has significant effect on humans because what they discovered, Israeli scientists in the 90s, is that every human being, funny enough, and dogs and cats have something called an endocannabinoid system. Very basically, it's a system inside of your body that regulates pain, movement, hunger, stress, and sleep, which is why. So what it, think of it as like a sucker, and it's sort of got a, a sucker waiting, and then a, a CBD molecule floats over and it attaches itself to that receptor. And that is why, you know, if you've ever smoked a joint and then you've got the munchies and you've got really hungry and then you started drooling on yourself and passed out on the couch, it's your endocannabinoid system that has triggered both hunger and then sleep. And that is why it has such a significant impact on epilepsy because your endocannabinoid system is something that also regulates movement and epilepsy and multiple sclerosis and Parkinson's are movement related diseases. So, It's just one of 140 compounds that's found in the plant, and scientists are opening up new discoveries on it every single day. Hmm, Interesting. So, Mark, we were touching on Australia before, and another listener question that we got through was around the hypothetical of what would happen if marijuana became legal for um, recreational use or for medicinal use in Australia. So this is asking you to look into the future a little bit, so uh, feel free to be vague. But um, the listener wants to know if or maybe when uh, we do start seeing legislative change in Australia, do you think that the ASX-listed cannabis companies will be the one that, ones that capitalise or do you see new companies entering the market or even would it be established companies in other industries, you know, pharmaceutical industries, beer industries, the like, making a sidestep into the uh, emerging cannabis uh, market. Who, basically, who do, you, who do you think is best placed to win if legislation changes? So for all of the readers listening to this, the first thing you need to know is that medicinal cannabis in Australia is legal. So there is a legal legalized market for medicinal cannabis in Australia. Um, there's a very, very limited set of qualifying conditions that would qualify you for it. And there's also a very, very limited number of what's called authorized prescribers. Only certain doctors are allowed to prescribe it. So you've got a very limited number of doctors with a very limited number of qualifying conditions. So although you have a legal market, it's still teeny tiny at the moment. But it is legal. Recreational cannabis, I honestly can't see that happening in Australia in under five years. It's just too much of a conservative nation. What do I think might trigger that? Well, 
some of your reader, listeners may know or may not know, but next year New Zealand is going to have a binding referendum of whether or not they should legalize cannabis in New Zealand for recreational use. Um, it's already legal for medicinal use in, in, in New Zealand. Now, should that go through, and there's a lot of indications in terms of, you know, polls that have been undertaken that says it will, well, then suddenly Australia might be under a little bit more pressure because you're going to have legislative movement in the U.S. in the next two to three years, New Zealand two to three years legal, Canada legal, you know, so I think there will be some, some sort of factors that may put pressure on Australia. But let's assume now for the moment that we're five years out and it's illegal. Which companies stand to benefit from that? Well, your medicinal cannabis companies are still going to benefit over that five-year period because there's a lot of companies in Australia that are doing cutting-edge research for clinical trials to bring to market FDA-approved drugs. So any doctor would be able to just prescribe it just like they would, could prescribe antibiotics for you. And that's a few years off, but that's coming. But then there'll be the recreational market, which is obviously massive. Now, that's probably going to be a combination, guys. It's going to be a combination of local players that set up and operate in the market. It's also going to be some of the global and local liquor companies looking to try and create an opportunity for a product that is cannibalizing their market, which is why you know Constellation Brands, the makers of Corona and other brands like that, bought into Canopy Growth. Um, it's why Heineken, you know, have, have started to bring their own products, why Coors, or Molson Coors, I think it is, is partnered with Organigram. So all the liquor companies are sort of stepping into the market, um, and, and they will certainly look to play in the market. And then, of course, you're going to have the global powerhouses that have already set up shop in Australia. Canopy Growth is here. Uh, Aurora is here. Can Trust is here. Tilray is here. So the big boys that we spoke about earlier, they're already here in Australia, and they've got here via taking you know, significant stakes in some of the ASX-listed pot companies. And there's no doubt they will play a big role in it in bringing to the market their global brands, which will have been in their markets you know, for a good five years, six years by that time. So I think it's a smorgasbord of, of opportunity. There will be the local opportunity. There will definitely be industry opportunities. And then there will be the global powerhouses that will you know, put a flag in the ground and, and bring their winning formula to the Australian market. So, Mark, being a very relative, well, being a, a very new industry, um, there's a fair bit of commentary about it at the moment in terms of it being too young to pick any winners, of we, as we've discussed on the show so far. Not knowing if the biggest players do exist and, and that sort of stuff, for a beginner investor looking to get exposure to the industry, uh, and not having the ability to invest in in large, uh, I guess, specialized funds and, and funds for more experienced investors. What are some of the best ways that someone can get access to the industry without having to focus too much on picking winners at this stage? Or do you still see think it's a little too early in, in the piece to be doing that? And is it more of a let's sit back, wait and see approach? You know, what I would say to... You know, retail investors looking to gain to get into the industry and gain exposure to cannabis is if you really have no idea what's going on and you don't have the time or the inclination to go and do sort of a deep dive research into a couple of companies, which of course you can find on the Green Fund. But you know, if you wanted to gain access to the industry, then you know one of the better ways to do it is through you know one or two of the ETFs. Yeah. And you know the biggest ETF in the world is the Horizons Marijuana Life Science ETF, or the ticker is HMMJ. Um, that's got about 1.4 billion funds under management now. 
Uh, and that is a really solid way of playing the industry because, you know, they've got enough diversification that, you know, you're pretty much covered across the board. Then there are two other ETFs. There's an ETF that's mostly focused on the Canadian pot stocks. And then there's an ETF that's mostly focused on the U.S. industry. Again, you know, if your thesis is like our thesis, which is the puck is moving towards the U.S. industry, then you may want to play the U.S. ETF. But if you believe that with recreational cannabis already legal and edibles and extracts coming very soon in Canada in October, that there'll be a real boom there, then you can play that. Um, it's a safe and, and sort of easy, you know, I don't want to use the word lazy, but, but easy way to, to, to gain a good access to the industry without having to sort of try and pick winners, which if you're not really sort of following it, uh, you know, on a daily basis can be very difficult. It really can. Um, you know, that would, that would be a, a safe bet in terms of, of playing it. And the HMMJ has performed really, really well. You know, there's a lot of stocks in there that we own. Uh, and that we own in our wholesale fund as well as in our, uh, you know, paper portfolio at the Green Fund, which is, you know, just for fun and, and for people to see. So that would be a very good way for your, for your listeners just to, you know, dip their toe in the water and, and at least say that they're part of the Green Rush. So, Mark, we've, we've spoken a lot about your thesis about why marijuana is a good investment and an industry on the rise. I want to take a little bit of a different tact. What's the best counter-argument you've heard for this thesis? Wow, that's a good question. <laughs> I thought you guys weren't going to throw anything fucking out. <laughs> that's a really good question. Um, the best counter-argument I've heard. Look, I can't say the best. I think the generalized counter-argument to this is that there is still so much we don't know about this plant that by legalizing it and giving freedom of access to it to you know young people you know 18 upwards we still don't have enough definitive information yet as to what is the impact on a developing mind we do know that cannabis usage excessive usage in teenagers has a much higher probability of things like schizophrenia and other sort of behavioral issues uh, whereas that diminishes rapidly when you talk about, you know, excessive usage from the ages of 30 onwards where you have a developed mind, you know, and, and I suppose it's the age old adage that, you know, if we legalize it, it's just going to promote drug use and that it's going to lead to more drug use, which will then, you know, is a slippery slope into other harder drugs. You know, people that argue that it has no medicinal benefit, I would say to them that it's in some respects, there are people making stupid claims like it's going to cure cancer and things like that. No, it's not. Um, well, not at the moment anyway, but it is starting to show significant medicinal benefit in terms of certain diseases. Certainly epilepsy is without debate anymore because the FDA has approved the drug for it now. And it's just a case of it needs a bit more time. You know, we've really only been studying this for, what, 20 years when you think penicillin was there, what, 120 years ago? So, I think the generalized arguments are that there is no efficacy-based results and therefore it doesn't have any medicinal benefit and that all it's going to lead to is more usage amongst the younger population, more drug use amongst the global population, and that that can't be good for society as a whole. I've yet to come across a counter-argument that's really made me step back and go, wow, okay, maybe this isn't such a good thing. But that's kind of at a general level what most of the counter-argument centers around. 
Yeah, it's a it's a good one. I, I know that's a probably not a question you get asked every day. I think um, you know as, as much as the there is a counter argument, just the the failed war on drugs of the last however long we've been doing it for now, 60, 70 years, and you know the the cost in human lives of locking people up for for something that we now see is medicine in a lot of cases is um it's a pretty hard argument to to I mean, I, argue I, against. I can't I can't say that strongly enough. I mean it's a synergistic outcome if you think about it like this, right? So first of all there's huge, huge benefits from a tax perspective for government. So you look at Colorado, tiny state in the US, legalized in twenty fourteen. By twenty eighteen they generated a billion dollars in state tax revenue. Yes that is exaggerated because you had a lot of tourism flowing in there because that was the only place you could get weed. But still, four years in a tiny state, $1 billion in tax. Then you've got to add on top of that, what do we get from, st- from the spending we were throwing at the war on drugs? And what can we do with that money, the opportunity cost of that? And then, you know, the final thing is what is it doing for jobs, for the, for the, you know, the impoverished societies? And let's be honest, the war on drugs was a was a, a pretty much a racist war on drugs you know you, you look at who's been arrested for marijuana you know marijuana dealing and marijuana usage and something and and, and and just be frank it's a black problem and there's people sitting in jail for 30 years for dealing in, in what a couple of bags of marijuana that's crazy that's absolutely crazy so you know i i can only see upside to it both from an economic perspective and a social um socioeconomic perspective so you know i'm a very firm believer in it so, Mark, you've got a sophisticated uh, fund available to uh, investors uh, of, a, I guess, a, a particular nature. So what is on, I guess, the, the question that everyone wants to know is what's on your watch list at the moment in this space? Uh, it might not be accessible to all investors, but we're just interested to know any particular stocks that um, you're closely watching at the moment in this space. Uh, so what I will say is, and I have to be careful because if I, if I, you know, if I mention a stock and then somebody goes up and buys it, then, <laughs> no, you know, I understand. Yeah, a whole lot of. But this is not you know, a if recommendation. I was to look at categories, it is not a recommendation. Do not buy it. Um, <laughs> and if you do, it's your own deal. Yes. But if I was to is to look at baskets of of, first of all, multi-state operators in the U.S. So the U.S. is still federally illegal, which means you cannot transport cannabis across state lines, even from one recreational state to the other. So what that means is that companies operating in the U.S. need to operate in each and every state individually, hence the term multi-state operators. Companies like, and so I will mention a whole lot, MedMen, Ianthus, Green Thumbs Industry, Cureleaf, Harvest, and Cresco Labs, as an example. So those are some of the MSOs and, and you know, how I play that market is we don't know who's going to win that yet. It's, it's too early to call. And so, you know, the suggestion to anybody would be, you know, take a basket approach. You'd have to be really smart and really lucky to back the winner all in right now because mm. it's just too early. But as a basket, those are the guys and girls that are going to make the big money in the coming years because they are establishing themselves in the U.S., and there will be a lot of consolidation, and one or two of those are going to be the big winners and are going to make a lot of money. The second category that I think is extremely exciting, as we've mentioned earlier, is the extraction companies, the companies that are focusing purely on turning flour into oil. And the demand and the growth for oil, it's the fastest-growing sector inside of the fastest-growing industry on the planet. 
companies like Medifarm Labs, Valence Growworks, Neptune. Um, these are the kind of companies that, that are really starting to stand up and dominate the extraction sector. And then finally, let's not forget the pharmaceutical players. Um, the pharmaceutical industry is going to be way bigger than recreational cannabis. And although a lot of people don't, can't get their head around that, you just got to understand how big these pharma, pharma companies are and how much money they're going to make off FDA-approved, eventually registered cannabis-derived drugs. And funny enough, there's a, there's a, in my opinion, there's a real winner in the Australian market. There's a couple of companies in the Australian market that, that we are watching. Um, you know, to, to name a few, MedLab is, is, is something I think has potential. Zelda Therapeutics has potential. Um, but the one that, uh, that, that, you know, we feel very strongly about is Botanics Pharma. They're going after the dermatology industry. And what they're producing now is topical creams that you rub onto your acne or eczema or psoriasis that is having the same efficacy or, the, you know, the same treatment results as the current drugs with zero safety side effects. Wow. So for any of, your, any of the listeners that have ever had acne, you know, the big drug in the acne world is, is it Roaccutan or something like that? Yeah. Now, the problem with that is that dries out your skin. It burns your skin. It leads to depression, suicide, and a whole range of other things. Um, Botanics' acne drugs are starting to show that they have the same results as Roaccutan with zero side effects, nothing. No burning, no dryness, nothing. Now, that is, that is frightening in terms of, and they're going through FDA-approved clinical trials at the moment. So, I think the big pharmaceutical players is something that investors should also take take note of because the amount of money they're going to make and the valuations right now are still very, very small. So those are the kind of three sectors. I could add one more in there just to give a bit more variety. The retailers in Canada, I think that is a huge opportunity. You know, everybody looks at the big Canadian licensed producers like Canopy and all the money they're making. But remember this, the real money is going to be made in the brick and mortar stores that people go into to buy cannabis. And that's where the bigger margins are. And so in Canada, companies like Alcana, National Access Cannabis, High Tide and Fire and Flower would be the four bigger players that I think are going to be producing significant revenue in the coming two, three years. Uh, and I think uh, investors you know, have, a, have a real opportunity to make significant gains in that area. So those will kind of be the four silos that we're watching very closely in some of those companies and not one of those is a recommendation at all. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Good caveat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're just uh, they're thought starters for further research, I think. Yes. That's the thing. That's the thing. It's a good place to start your research. Uh, I think yeah. those have the potential to be winners. Yeah. I think you've um you've definitely given us a lot of a lot of things to think about, a lot of companies to look into. Every time I speak to someone on this sector, I just I get so excited for the investment opportunities, but also you know like the the healthcare benefits and all of that that will that will come as as it becomes more ubiquitous. So exciting times, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's very rare that investors get an opportunity to make real money, but at the same time, it's in an industry that's doing real good. Uh, you know, it's. Uh, yes, the green fund is, is is a commercial business. Yes, the wholesale fund is there to make money, sure. But I'm also pretty proud that you know I'm I'm involved in a day to day in a business that you've got kids 
that are having up to 300 seizures a day. It's almost every five minutes a kid is having a, a grand mal seizure on the ground, foaming. That's no life. They're taking CBD oil that does not make them high. There's no THC in it. And now having zero seizures a day, zero, not mm, one. Mm. And you've got kids now that can go to the park and play with a ball outside. I mean, you know, I don't want to get too emotional about it, but we're able to make money of stocks that are giving life back to kids. I mean, come on, you know, that's pretty cool. Agreed. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. So, Mark, we've, we've reached about the end of our time and we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about this. Um, we always finish the same interview with the final three questions, so we'll um, we'll rip through them now. Uh, okay. First one: Do you do you have any must-read books, investing or otherwise? All right. So the book I'm going to tell you is not an investing book because I, I think there's probably smarter people out there that will have smarter investing books. But it's an it's an it's an oldie and it's a favorite of mine. It's uh, by Paolo Coelho. It's called The Alchemist. I believe this is a must-read book for everybody, and it's uh, it's just a book about believing in yourself and and the fact that sometimes everything you you need and everything you want is actually right in front of you fantastic read really it is but it's not an investing book so don't read it and think you're going to come out of it knowing which companies to buy but uh, that would be my pick nice one so the second question where do you go for investing information Quite a variety of sites, guys. So I use something called Feedly, which I'm sure your uh, listeners are pretty familiar with. Um, so I subscribe to about 40 to 50 blogs and about three to 400 articles and videos come into Feedly every single day. So I, I really do use quite a wide variety of, of sites to gain information. But in terms of general cannabis knowledge, I would say sites like leafly.com and, high t- and hightimes.com and for more technical investment side of the business, I would say New Cannabis Ventures and Technical 420 would be two of the sites I would use for more investor-centric stock information. Mark, I think you've just uh, made Alex day. I'm just looking at Feedly now, and I- I'd never heard of heard of it. I don't know if you had either, <laughs> Ren, but um, this is exa- very similar to an idea that Ren's been thinking about for a while <laughs> now, because I think it solves yeah, a lot of his of issues. It, so. Um, so, Ren, you should definitely check it out. It's very similar to... Um, how you would love your information coming in because it runs the same many, many blogs and finance sites and whatnot. And um, yeah, amazing. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Feedly. Continue. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. Well, I think <laughs> hopefully I'll get some benefit out of it and some of our listeners will, uh, will get some benefit out of it as well. So last question, Mark. Uh, if you can look back to your, uh, you know, your 20-year-old self, uh, is there any advice that you would give yourself at that time? forgive my French, but don't listen to the negative shit that people talk to you about. You have to believe in yourself. And and if you have a passion and you have an interest in something, and that could be in a corporate job, it doesn't need to be an entrepreneurial venture or anything, you know, just, just go for it. Uh, it. Honestly, the only person that can tell you that you can't do something is yourself. And if I could go back to 20 year old Mark and give him a slap in the face and say, Stop doubting yourself and listening to the negativity around you because more people than not will tell you it cannot be done and you can't do it and you shouldn't do it and it's not a great idea. And actually, at the end of the day, the only person that has the power in that decision is you. And so just believe in yourself and, and stop the, the doubt. You know, I'm, I'm sure when you guys started this, there were people who thought it wasn't a great idea or why are you wasting your time? You know, focus on, focus on woolies and focus on coals. But you know, you guys obviously backed yourselves and believed in yourselves and look what you've achieved. So 
that would be what I would slap young Mark in the face and tell him. <laughs> a very timely advice, I think. We're at a at certainly at a pivot point at the moment, so yeah, it's it's uh, very. I mean, it's it's an important piece of advice, and very much. Uh, agree with what you're saying. So, Mark, that brings us to the end of uh, our, our discussion tonight. Many more, uh, I guess, rabbit warrens that we could have gone down there and, and discussed, but I think it would be great if we could uh, get you back on the show at some point uh, in the next few months or six months or so as the industry continues to evolve. I'm sure uh, your thesis will continue to evolve and and the way that uh, we look at investing in this industry will, will change over time. So I think it's something that Alec and I are very keen to stay close to as we all recognize there's certainly huge opportunity for investors to make a great return. And as you said, in an industry that is certainly doing uh, more good than it, than it is bad. So really appreciate you coming on today. If our listeners want to get any further information on yourself or access to the Green Fund, um, what is the, the best way for them to do that? Just go to thegreenfund.com. Um, you can, everything on the site is free. You can subscribe to our newsletter and that will keep you up to date on a weekly basis. You can go and have a look at our paper portfolio and see what we would be buying if it was real money. Um, and, you know, just anything you kind of want to see is there. And um, that's probably the best way. And, and thank you guys. It's uh, been a privilege to be on the show. And anytime uh, that uh, I would be invited back, I'd be welcome. It'd be fantastic. Uh, spread the gospel. I, I, speaking of the model portfolio, I, I had a look at it last night and I think it's a, a fantastic resource just to get an idea of what you're thinking and uh, get some exposure to companies and tickers that, otherwise would uh, probably uh, go under the nose and, and we wouldn't be aware of them. So certainly check that out for our listeners if, if you have the opportunity. So again, Mark, thanks for your time and uh, we look forward to chatting to you in the future about all things cannabis. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate you having me on. Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how they pertain to your individual situation. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful.